Welcome to the second half of our first week in what we hope will be engaging and challenging and uplifting conversation on time and revelation. Uh, you know, those that didn't track closely with us in the first six-week season of our sort of year, we shipped off this fall. We spent time with the first three chapters of Genesis and wrestling with themes and, and stories of creation and what we might yet find in them in spite of all the ways that they challenged us or let us down or given us things to prove and regret. So, certainly Revelation allows us to continue that conversation. I don't know that in, in Emmaus Way's history we've really dealt with this book. Certainly not with the intention that we're planning to over the next six weeks. And so, we're excited for that. And Molly has assembled this lovely call together. That starts with a full disclosure. I do not like the book of Revelation. I do not like its violence, its vindictiveness, its opaqueness, its psychotic visions, its attitude towards women, its enemy thinking, its dualistic worldview, or its vacancy of love. I do not even like people who like the book of Revelations, because so many of them use it to justify their crazier ideas about God and scare other people with what they think they know. I wish it had been left out of the Bible, as it almost was, but since it wasn't, I'll grant this much. If you want beatific vision of God's endgame for creation. There is no better place to look. That from Barbara Brown Taylor and from T.S. Eliot, who in the same place also reminds us that by beginning, in my beginning is my end, reminds us too that in my end is my beginning. And so from conversations about the beginnings of things to conversations about the end of things, here we are. Glad you're here for it. Um, and yeah, to uh, maybe get us started in that, because we have some pretty prolonged announcements about some things that we're going to be doing over the next five weeks. And yeah, one up, and we'll just kick right off with this community song, which we want. We always try and have an element that binds us together, young and old, and speaks to the season that we're in. And yeah, this is. This is one that does just that. And since we have that in here, he's going to sort of help us break down and sing our way through it. But we're going to be singing this together for And this is just two or four verses, but you know, they're good. Oh, the time will come when the winds will stop and the breeze will cease to be breathing. Like the stillness in the wind before the hurricane begins, the owl at the ship comes in. And the seas will split, and the ship will leak, and the sands on the shoreline will be shaken. Then the tide will sound as the winds will pound, and the morning Then the sands will roll out of the garden, for you 
Uh, as that story unfolds, we want to also warn you, though, that some of the themes can be rough. Uh, and if you are triggered by uh, representations of addiction or self-harm or suicidal ideation, you may wish to choose um, the other option. Uh, but, but that said, uh, we do believe that this is a powerful film and worth spending three weeks on. We'll be doing three sessions of about 30 to 40 minutes with substantial time afterward to uh, think through what we've seen. You can also find this film on Amazon Prime if you prefer to watch it, if you want to preview it or watch the whole thing on your own uh, or in a single setting. Uh, probably most of you could probably find it there too. Thanks, Brendan. We got one more. Yes, I'm not Laura Lutner, Jessica Boyder, um, but the third option is they will be leading over those three weeks um, different mindful meditation practices. So part of the invitation of Revelation is kind of to see things in a new or in a different way. Um, and I think mindful meditation is a really great practice to sort of force us um, to start imagining and thinking and seeing differently. So each week there will be a different practice and some conversation around that, and they um, will be leading that So those are the three. And we'll probably try and reiterate that by email this week, but just want to preview yeah. this briefly. Three things will be going on in that first half, starting next week at four. Uh, and we're going to break into preparation in just a second, but wanted to create some time to do two things in this space, and one is to introduce a question that we hope uh, will be something we can take through in the six weeks uh, as a sort of gateway or space between what we're looking at week to week uh, between these conversations and then the texts that we're sitting alongside. Uh, and so the question is, what's breaking in? Where, if we're looking for an inbreaking of things, if an empire is on the wane or if cracks are opening within it that might give us light and hope, where are those breaks and what's breaking into them? And so we want to spend more time dialoguing this question in the next five weeks, but just wanted to open that space tonight um, in a prayerful way with this corporate prayer, and you've had some responses there that I hope you'll join me in. In lives where love has been born this day, in families where forgiveness has been strong, in nations where wrongs have been addressed, where tenderness has been cherished, and where visions for Earth's oneness have been served, thanks be to you. May those who are weary find rest this night. May those who carry great burdens for their people find strength. May the midwives of new beginnings in our world find hope. And may the least among us find greatness. Strengthen our souls, worth in our works, love in our living. Amen. If you were here last week, uh, you saw my descent into illness. <laughs> if you're sent here this week, you get to see my uh, departure from illness. <laughs> But um, my voice hasn't quite caught up with my body. Um, so if you're familiar with these things, I would love uh, to create a, a chorus of voices.
The wonder of the world no longer drowns. 
much Adam um, so glad that you are feeling better I was definitely worried last week when he said he was seeing double up there as he was playing I was like oh not feeling too well um, one announcement we forgot in the midst of all of us talking about all the things happening if you have been around for a while and do not get the weekly or don't get the social or if you are new to the community and would like to know more please slot a yellow card in the back um, happy Myself, Ben or Elizabeth, happy to meet with you, but also would just love for you to kind of know what's going on in the life of the community. And I'm not calling anyone out whatsoever. Um, but there's a lot happening, and we as a community have chosen the weekly and the social to be our primary ways of getting information out about like new rhythms, what's going on, etc. If we come up with a new way that y'all like better, that's great. Um, but read them. Um, if you want to kind of know what's happening, um, you can still text us. That's just fine as well. But, um, but like it really is. I'm happy to get the text messages. Um, here's the here's the truth. I hate having to put together the weekly. It's like just really boring, and I do it on Friday. But I do it so information can get out. And so if you all want to read it, that'd be great. If not, help us come up with a better way that you all will read the information. <laughs> I'm so sorry, that was probably a little too honest. Um, <laughs> I'm really, I'm so grateful how you all are present and read what's happening. But yeah, I just want everybody, because I think Emmaus Way is great, and just want everyone to know what's going on. So that, I'm gonna stop talking. Um, we're gonna pass the peace of Christ to one another. Um, greet someone maybe you haven't seen in a while or didn't get to finish a conversation with over a meal. Um, there's water, probably some extra food if you're still hungry in the back, and we'll gather back in just a moment um, to talk about Revelation. So, peace of Christ be with you. Would someone just read the first, the one verse that we have for tonight's conversation? Revelation 1-3. Revelation 1-3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. Thanks so much, Susan. So we just heard, the beginning of Revelation implores, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. But what the heck does it mean to keep what is written in it when it's a hard prophecy to make sense of. What are we to do with this book, this fascinating piece of literature, as a people of faith, not necessarily bound or entwined with dispensationalism 
and an obsession of the rapture and a yearning for the end times, but rather, what are we to do instead with this text as a people desperately wanting to be about the inbreaking kingdom of God in the here and now, in this time, in this age, but not necessarily knowing how to even begin to deal with this book, this text, that shaped that time then and is still shaping this time now. How are we to keep what is written in it and in our hearts when this book has caused, I think if we're being honest, far more terror than comfort for many? Many, perhaps, even in this room. I imagine I'm not the only one with my own set of questions of revelation and how we are to keep, keep it with us and written and that we are to be blessed by this prophecy when perhaps for many of you or like me, maybe revelation has and still comes with some baggage of how you've been taught to think about this text or certain books you've been encouraged to read about this text. Around this time of year, certain judgment houses you were pushed to go to. I imagine that many of you are bringing some stuff with you to this book. I might even be wondering, why the heck are we even talking about it for six weeks? I think it's an important place to begin for us to thoughtfully be able to name some of the baggage, some of the stuff that we are bringing with us into this series about Revelation, because of Revelation, or maybe even in spite of Revelation. My hope is that by naming our baggage, we might be able to try to set it aside once named for the next six weeks and see what's possible. So we're gonna begin there. What are you bringing with you because of, in spite of, or about Revelation tonight? Yeah, Joel. Well, I come from a tradition where our founder wanted to get rid of it, so. I'm, yeah, I'm sure. You I'm probably sure, agree with Barbara Brown Taylor. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Revelation shows up somewhere in the Revised Common Lectionary, so we, you know, we would have read it, but like, it's almost like a non-entity yeah. to me. Like, I mean, I know it more from like Johnny Cash songs than from like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. Nice, yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah, because for some people, Revelation's kind of treated as a non-entity, like it doesn't exist. Um, totally. Others, what are you bringing with you with Revelation? Somebody else who also grew up in a tradition that didn't discuss it, but of it was of an age where the left behind books would have yeah, been a thing, and that yeah, was like yeah. my introduction and sole experience, and was very confused and frightened. Yeah. Unsure about what it all meant, but it was an age it felt like I had to figure out something to do with it because yeah. everybody was reading these books. I would imagine, right, kind of growing up in your Mennonite church, probably not hearing much about Revelation, and then reading Left Behind in your spare time and being like what the heck you know <laughs> like yeah 
Yeah. No, I remember once uh, seeing the Left Behind series on my grandparents, his, like my dad's parents' bookshelf. My dad looked at me and said, Molly, that is fiction, and fiction you are never to read. (laughs) So I, but I will say I felt like an outsider because everybody was reading it, and I was like, I don't know, I don't know. Others, what are you bringing with you around Revelation? How it's been used? Well, there's just more of you like, oh, we're trying to learn more about how There's more of like a custom language that I'm not really sure what to do with. There was an us-them language. Who's in, who's out? Who's in, who's out? Who's going to be raptured? Who's not? Yeah. Yeah. Who's in, who's out? Who will be raptured or not? Yeah. On the drive over to the church today, James was joking and he was like, I mean, like, I don't think they're right, but like, if they are, I'm probably out, you know? Like, I'll see, you know? Like, like, (laughs) you know? So, but no, it totally is, right? Like, an us versus them and like wanting to be in. Yeah, I, um, I have this vivid, I never went to judge my house or anything like that, but my freshman year of college, my freshman roommate's mom still runs the largest outdoor judgment house, like Chilling Fields, it's called, in the state of Tennessee. It's like where people, they just try to scare you and like root it and say it's in Revelation and the rapture. And they do it during Halloween, things like that. Anyway, and I go and I didn't get the mark Right, like I got the wrong mark, so I was one of the ones left behind. And then they were trying to like, and I remember sitting there being like, oh, it's right, like this us versus them, even though I knew. Yeah, anyway, they do, especially if you live in East Tennessee. <laughs> Others, what do you? About not being what? Lukewarm. And I remember, the few times, I mean, like, you're supposed to read it because you get a blessing if you finish it and like that. And then I remember every time I tried to read it, it was, like, lots of animals I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, animals with multiple eyes and, like, wings and, I yeah. There was a lot, like, people who were really good at, like, English classes with, like, like, impressive English degrees would probably understand all the meanings, but. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Some pretty crazy literature. Just unique, yeah, out there. Others, one or two more. What are you bringing with you? Mm-hmm. I, I read a study this week that 20 some odd percent of white evangelicals believe that we should do something about climate change. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas um, 60 some odd percent of non-religious people do. 50 some odd percent of black Protestants think we should do something about uh, project climate change. Um, but like it's a it's an extreme outlier the the white evangelicals and their perspective on it and it's um, one one of the main reasons why I mean we we started with Genesis and we yeah and but it's like you know we we, we open it there and then we close it in Revelation where a, a lot of um, I, I guess the sentiment is um, if if the planet's warming then Jesus here, must here be near. Yeah, that it's not a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's really, really hard. Right? And I have a hard time grasping 
how someone can, yeah, see this as a good, right, climate change and yay rapture doesn't really do it for me. Yeah. <laughs> Others, like one or, one or two more. Yeah, Marie. I, I, mean, I guess kind of connected to that, like, from like left, left behind evangelical culture, how much time is spent worrying about the rapture? And mm. um, it was just like, it wasn't, it wasn't a good use of time. It was really manipulative mm. um, from the like culture producers making, like making money off of that. But it, yeah, it like, makes terrible citizens. Like, mm. um, so like at best, you're like, oh man, I really was scared of things. I didn't need to be, I was scared of the wrong things in high school. And at worst, you're just like a really not helpful citizen. Mm. So I don't, I don't have like anger about like anyone that was like my small group leader in high school. But it's more like a broader anger that just we were just allowed to because in many ways right like language around the rapture and left behind and it gives you a pass to not have to care about this time and space right like and it gives you a pass to not really have to think what does it mean to be a faithful embodied human being right in the here and now yeah yeah thanks so much so I Revelation 21, uh, we actually have read it earlier. It's a new heaven and new earth. Yeah. And it's something that I've also read at very quite a few deathbeds. Yeah. Um, with people that it is so as like a it's a hopeful message. And very much it's so. also interesting that Left Behind, the Left Behind series is still very popular uh, in prison. Mm. And I didn't know that there were like 10 or 10 books in a sequel series. Like, the same people. It's like, but I, I think the point is, like, there is a hopeful message in Revelation that, and seeing these guys who are in prison who may not be at home or kind of, it kind of has become like an escapism. Yeah. Of like, if I just do these things, like, how can I do these things? And then I can, like, get a different life, get a better life. And so I do think there is this, which I think, I think that is all, you know, faulty logic in some ways, but there is this, like, logic that, like, there is a hopeful message um, that does so. tell us something about God. Yeah, very much so. And I think and I hope that out of this series that um, we all are able to have a better understanding of why revelation matters, but that it probably doesn't matter in the way that gets so much airtime and press time, right? Um, because like many of you have mentioned, um, the rapture, left behind, right? All this buzz about the end times has been tied to and put on this one book, right? Revelation. In popular society, like there's fervor and a fear over the end, right? Over the rapture. And this rapture, I don't know if you all are aware, but it's like nowhere in, like nowhere in the book, right? Like this notion of rapture was a invented, it's a principle invented less than 200 years ago for a word that can't be found, like not only not in Revelation, but like nowhere in the biblical narrative. So in the words, I just love this, Barbara Rossing, who's a New Testament scholar, says the rapture is a racket. 
Whether prescribing a violent script for Israel or survivalism in the United States, this theology distorts God's vision for the world. In place of healing, the rapture proclaims escape. In place of Jesus' blessing of peacemakers, the rapture voyeuristically glorifies violence and war. In place of Revelation's vision of self-giving love, the rapture celebrates lion-like wrath. This theology is not biblical, she says. We are not raptured off the earth, nor is God. This notion, though, of rapture began, and if you want to know more, I'm sure Brandon, historian, can fill you in, um, began with this biblical teacher, John Nelson Darby, in 1830, after a teenage girl was said to have had a two-fold vision of Christ's return. And from that moment on, Darby was the first one to run with it, but understandings of the rapture and Christ's return just took off. And then eventually kind of became morphed into something known as dispensationalism, right? And this fixation on time and the end times. But in the words of one scholar, the problem is that the whole dispensationalist system, right, of trying to predict the end of the return <laughs> Right? I'm sure there are probably 20% white evangelicals consider themselves dispensationalists, some of them. The problem is that it makes revelation easy and fun and turns it into a fabrication. The scholar says it is based on a false view of prophecy and inserts quite a few gaps, both gaps in time and gaps in theory and gaps in language to make the numbers and this sequence work. And this goes as far back as Daniel. They start with the book of Daniel and just keep moving forward. But there are lots and lots of gaps. And I was doing one reading this week and I blank on the dispensationalist's name, but he, right, they, he just keeps on changing the end time date, right? Because he's just like fixated on when the rapture will be. And he'll come up with a theory and often they're like tied to war and weapons of war and how that then pushes the end time date. But lots of gaps. But I'm curious, if we know somewhat confidently that Revelation is not in fact about the rapture, or the end times, or dispensationalism, and an obsession about the end. That this text, in fact, is not about the very thing it's gotten so popularized for, right? Hello, Left Behind, and perhaps lots of us reading it, trying to figure out what was up. What are we to do with it? Where are we to begin? I think it's really important to begin with the historical context. So John, John was writing to Christians at the time, really suffocating under the weight of the Roman Empire. And many agree that it was written specifically to encourage the Christians and these seven churches under that empire, right? He was writing to comfort them struggling under violence and power and oppression. 
that really this work was written as hope for those on the under, right? Like just getting this short, like just having a horrible life because of empire was written as comfort. And while we might find the language and writing obscure and jarring, because quite frankly it is, right? If you read it from beginning to end, this format of writing, of apocalyptic literature, was a very common type of literature for that time and place. So the hearer then would have understood quite clearly what was going on. Apocalyptic literature then was as common as James and Dave Eford like read through sci-fi and fantasy, right? Like it's a drama and an unfolding and just a way, the mystery that people understood and really liked. And they had known enough and read enough literature or heard enough orally apocalyptic literature that they had a better means to understand the plot than I think many of us do. To the hearer, they would not have heard or read this text literally, but it instead would have seen the seals, the trumpets, the beast, the animals with like six eyes and seven and eight wings, and other obscure, somewhat terrifying parts as an invitation into a different way of living out from under the oppressive state the empire had put them in. For ultimately, most would have heard this narrative as evil being taken on. AKA the Roman Empire being on trial throughout this work, and the hearer would have heard again and again through image after image that God as understood through revelation is against evil. God is not against God's people, period. Probably not what perhaps you heard in a judgment house if you ever went to one. But it's important for us to remember, right, that we are interpreting Revelation over the next six weeks like all biblical text in a context and in a time that was not written for us. And it's important for us to hold that any appropriation of revelation that honors the integrity of this text cannot offer the reading. Even if we don't think that revelation is about the rapture, we can't fully understand revelation's imagery as the reading because at the heart of revelation is this uncontainable mystery of God that challenges and transcends language and categorization in very part to remind us that God is a God of hope and God is a God of good even when we can't see it or fully comprehend it, but somehow God, who is greater than us, is at work. That caveat doesn't mean that there's nothing on offer for us out of Revelation. While we in this space can't claim, and I don't think anyone would, that we are being persecuted for our faith like those early Christians, because we aren't, uh, I think we can all agree that we are, in one way or another, 
under the weight of an empire and under the weight of a market that presses in on us in such a way that the empire in which we find ourselves and the market which consumes us convinces us that there is nothing other than this. The weight of the realities of this life and this empire and this market make us believe that this, this way of living, this way of being, this exhausting grind that so many of us find ourselves experiencing is all we have and is all that is ever going to be. But what might happen in this time and space when we open ourselves to the uncontainable mystery of God that is spoken through this apocalyptic literature and is on offer for us now? An apocalypse not of rapture, but rather an apocalypse as an unveiling that reveals a deeper truth an unveiling that changes our understanding of what might be possible in the here and now to get to Marie's point of what it might mean for us to be like good, fully alive, embodied citizens like right now, not someday, but like living a life of love and justice and hope here. Has anyone ever seen an optical illusion painting? Yes, no, right? Probably we've seen the one of the woman and the young maiden or the one where it looks like a saxophone, right? Is it a saxophone or is it a big head? I think the psychologist, I, that's at least where I saw it was in psychology, right? The psychologist really um, like that one. What is it like for you when you see one of those paintings where you think it's one thing, but then another thing pops up? I don't necessarily like them because it's hard for me to see the second thing in true transparency. But others, what is it like? I don't like them because once you see the second thing, you can't see the first thing. Yeah, right? It is. It's like once you see what's, like once you see the other thing, yeah, it's hard to go back and see the first. Yeah, what were you going to say, Ben? Uh, yeah, I think that, but, but also like, it's funny how much once you've seen the second thing, you feel like you're, this is a totally different space, right? It's mm -hmm. like, what, what was I thinking before, right? You feel like you can totally relocate it, not just in perspective, but like, what kind of person couldn't see this before, yeah. right? You're like two different people. Yeah, yeah. It's like this kind of bam moment, right? It's like, whoa, how did that happen? And once you've seen the new thing, you can't go back and unsee it. What you thought only could be, <laughs> no longer is, right? There's something else. There's something different. The old reality, right, to your point, Aaron, no longer computes. And I think the book of Revelation is like an optical illusion painting for us. Throughout this text, we're invited to let go of the flat page. We're invited to let go of what we think is there 
We're invited to let go to stop trying to figure out each literal detail and instead be open to an unveiling of this work that invites us into a different way of seeing and living. Revelation is an offering of what can be in the here and now, not necessarily what is. But what does it say if we're unable to be open to what can be, if we can't see that second optical illusion image, if we're unable to open ourselves to this unveiling, to this invitation to a different way of living in this temporal time? Does it say we're a bit closer to the dispensationalist who are just kind of missing the mark with this book and not realizing what's there? Does it say we're in the belly of empire and market in such a way that we no longer can see the possibility that we can actually change and be about God's justice in more invigorating ways? Does it say we've simply lost our imagination for a different way of living because we're just too tired? Or does it simply say that this is hard work to be open about what can be to be open to the fullness of the optical illusion. And we simply need one another at times to point out the second image and be with us through it because we can't do it alone. What might it take for us to be open to what can be as understood through this text of Revelation hard work and haul. How might we, over the next six weeks, begin to open ourselves to the inbreaking? I think to Brett's point, right, that is here of awe and hope and wonder and love and expectation found within this text, rather than sitting with the disposition of negativity and despair and just wanting to chuck the book out. How might our loving and hoping and justice-making living shift when we allow ourselves to no longer be mere observers of John's vision and revelation, but intimately shaped by John's vision of God's mystery and power, even when we can't totally understand or fully believe the mystery and power we're being invited into? What might be possible in this temporal time, if we actually open ourselves to this apocalyptic literature, this unveiling, this mystery, this God with us. I'm not totally sure, but I am confident that we may find in Revelation over these six weeks a God with us in such a way that she not only pushes through this text into the works of witness, resistance, and celebration, but also a God with us that is going to come alongside, showing us the way, lifting the jadedness from our eyes, unveiling the different ways of seeing and living when we're unable because we're just too exhausted comforting us from the pain that this text has caused by its misuse, 
helping us step out of the belly of empire when we're too beaten down, inviting us to be open to a revealing of a deeper truth, a fuller liberation, and an inbreaking kingdom way of living in this time and in this place, because that same God will remind us that we are intimately connected, turning us toward one another as we hear and read and talk about this text, reminding us, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. I'm really excited for this series, and I'm really hopeful that at the end of it, we will find a liberating living God dwelling with us and lifting us out of the weight of empire and turning us toward one another. Can't see the stars anymore living here. Let's go to the hills where the outlines are clear. Bring on the wonder, bring on the song. I pushed you down deep in my soul for two. Fell through the cracks at the end of the street. Let's go to the beach, get the sand through our feet. Bring on the wonder, bring on the song. I pushed you down deep in my soul for too long. Bring on the wonder, we got it all wrong. Down deep in our souls for two. I don't have the time for a drink from the cup. Let's rest for a while till our souls catch us up. Bring on the wonder, bring on the song I pushed you down deep in my soul for too long Bring on the wonder, we got it all wrong We pushed it down deep in our souls, so hang on Bring on the wonder, bring on the song I pushed you down deep in my soul for too long.
There is an empire Sitting where we sit And there is a barbed wire Scratching our cheeks in And there is a factory It's made out of cement There is a small flame That escapes from the top of it And there is a thick wall That's built out of blue coal There is an army It's 1,000 years old And there is a land that Is full of giants Oh, but do not lose step and Do not be frightened Cause there is a great fire comes from the mountains and we wait in our watchtower trying to keep it lit oh it cannot be too much longer it cannot be too much longer it cannot be too much longer not be too much longer and we wake up slowly we come like a ghost town and our bandages we into our wedding gown and no sleeping city Stealer of souls Oh, do you see us coming? Do you see us coming now? Do you see us coming? Do you see us coming now? It cannot be too much longer Cannot be too much longer. Cannot be too much longer. Cannot be too much longer. Well, thanks to all of y'all for waiting in a very mixed history when it comes to things like a rapture, apparently. I kind of wish Joel had been able to throw it out of my Bible growing up. Because honestly, I don't know, there's so many ways to ask the elemental questions of like the last 
two decades of my life, but one of them might be, if you lose the rapture, what fills the space? If your every thought, your every imagination, if, if you've called relatives, you know I wouldn't be raptured just to make sure that you haven't been yourself because you're by yourself and it's that baked in to your ideas of how the world is and how it works when you lose it. When you go home and you hear things like, well, the Lord willing, if we're still here, and they mean literally if we're still here because God is coming back at any moment and you lose that. How do you fill that space? I, the, the songs we programmed tonight were in part good songs, but they're also good songs for me to remember that Emmaus Way was a space where I found something that could fill a hole the size of a rapture. A canticle of the turning. A war that might be over, a ship coming in, songs, language that spoke straight to what I needed that rapture for and turned it in a direction I had never thought to expect. And that grandiosity is beautiful. It's been beautiful for me. Um, God is here. How big could this be? How, what could that breaking in look like? And also, I want to name that as the world shifts around and under and among us, that grandiosity can find a way to be suffocating as well. In the same way that rapture I lost could be when we start to lose the sense of where that big thing coming is coming from, of how soon and how likely it might be, that loss is just as challenging and just as difficult as losing that other certain ideology. When the price of our hope is that the end of all things will somehow fix it, that's a high price. And so much of what keeps us safe and comfortable and okay comes at the cost of other suffering, right? There's a lot of ways to lose ourselves in a narrative that grand. And I don't mean, I don't think that means we toss it out, but I do think it means we need some spaces in between. We need some spaces where we can find each other, where we can find a breaking in, where we can imagine, as Molly's saying, a more intimate, a more direct, a more imaginative, a more creative, something that might be as simple as using our time well, as Maria said, and that in those spaces, in those ways, we are participating in that big thing that we may have lost sight of this week because did you see what it is out there? And so I want to, this week, and probably a lot of weeks through this series, suggest that if something is breaking in, that it's breaking around, in around a table like this that the reason we have this table is because it fits powerfully in a narrative of wars ending, ships coming in, war, uh, worlds about to turn, all things being made right. There's a reason we get near the end of Revelation and the image is a table around all which all of time and all of God's people and all tribes and nations have been gathered. And also it's here right now. And so if we have any idea, 
any imagination of something so grand, I think we need to be able to open ourselves in that same way to something as intimate and something as specific that would be asking the question, where is the wonder? What did you push down in your soul this week and what did that cost and what would it feel like to open it up just a little bit again here tonight together and say the body and the blood of Christ for you the love and the light of Christ for you. I can't imagine the grandiosity of it right now, but I can imagine that it looks something like an opening that looks a little like this. There is an empire, and it's sitting where we sit. There's a landfill of giants we're about to be walking out to. There's factories and walls. And we might have to weave some bandages into the gown we're going to wear, but it can't be that much longer because here tonight, we are here. God is here. This table is set. Can't be that much longer. Can we see it coming in some small way here tonight? That's the table I invite you into. If you're newer to us, we try and make it rowdy. We pour wine and juice for each other. Wine is in the not green, less green pitcher and, uh, and <laughs> wine is in the, sorry, wine the least green pitcher and gr- juice is in the green pitcher. And we've got bread and we've got gluten-free crackers. And we break and pour for each other, celebrating the life and love of God in the body and blood of Christ, welcoming us in to a story that is bigger than us and is right here on Alpha. Welcome to the table.